0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Common Ground is a core class that meets weekly at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. As part of our current series, guest teacher Luke Paiva is going through the Ten Commandments and what they mean to us today. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Uh, Lee Eric called or texted me yesterday, and uh, he's like, hey, short notice, but could you? And I do, uh, yes, I can. Uh, and I love to, because uh, he puts a ton of work into this just because he loves, loves God and he loves you as a flock of Sunday school. And, uh, I'm always happy to help him out. Uh, and also he'd said, I said, well, you want me to do three and four or do you ever? still nobody knew, right? Okay. So, you know, we're going through the 10 commandments. Uh, he was as you want me to do three and four or you want me to do something else. And he's like, have a lesson plan for three and four that I already did, uh, and being a um, he said, but you can do whatever you want, um, and uh, being a teacher, uh, I was like, you, you can have the lesson plan and keep the lesson plan. I know how much work goes into those, uh, so he, he'll come back to three and four, but, and what we're going to do today is just sort of a, uh, an overview, a, a worthy overview of uh, why study the law, why study the Ten Commandments, why study the Ten Commandments at Easter? Why would that be problematic for some people? If I was studying the Ten Commandments at Easter it seemed problematic for some people um, or maybe an initial pushback you might have of of studying the law at Easter Jesus came to free us from the law Jesus came to free us from the law we, we we might be like we could be more precise with that fulfill. fulfill it and and he's our Redeemer, our, I mean, as a as a replacing atoning redeemer, he he redeems us. He the law doesn't go away. The law doesn't cease. Um, it is fulfilled in in Christ. Um, and actually, looking at the Ten Commandments, looking at any of Scripture, but looking at the Ten Commandments can be a beautiful Easter celebration. And so, what I want to what I want to do today is just look at three three of the multitude of ways you can worship through the law, um, because. There is an active movement, and there always has been an active movement, to misuse the law, uh, to either get rid of it uh, or to live by it, and both of those are death. And and really, the tragedy is, if you do either of those, you're missing who Jesus is. Um, There's a new old movement now, made popular by a very popular pastor right now, to just unhitch from the Old Testament to just do away with the Old Testament because it's old and it's confusing and you don't need it. Um, That's actually just a second century heresy called Marcionism um, of someone who wanted to rewrite the Bible in their terms to do away with parts of it. Uh, And on the other hand, you get people now who want to, very popular people who want to get rid of Paul. Well, Paul, we don't understand Paul rightly. Just forget what Paul said. Um, And It's the either the whole Bible is God's revelation of Himself or it isn't. Um, He's not who He said He was. You can't even know Jesus if you can chuck parts of it out because Jesus said the whole Bible's about him. Uh, And so the goal today being to look at the law as an overview of, of how it's actually worship. And it's actually beautiful. Uh so I so students I teach at the so I've done two things that'll come into play here and I, and it's the same two things I always talk about because it's been my whole life until now. Uh I teach Bible at the high school here, uh, upper school. And I, I've been a police officer. Those have been my career fields up to this point. Um one of the things students always want to know about is is demons and the devil and the occult, because it's fascinating to them and it's permeates movies and permeates rumors and and whatnot. Um and actually in one of those, in one of those debates with them or debate, you know, question and answer sessions, I guess, um, they do it to get out of classwork and I don't mind because as long as they're asking legitimate questions, I'm fine to answer them. Um, you know, what about the devil this? What about the devil that? And, and one of those debates uh, I, it dawned on me. I was like, Oh yeah, it's just right here. Uh, you get like four really clear pictures in scripture of Satan doing his worst. Satan doing his absolute worst in the garden, in Job, in the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and in the indwelling of, it's the only time you ever see Satan possess somebody other than a snake, the indwelling of Judas. That's, that's arguably Satan doing his worst, destroying God's beloved creation, attacking God, um, Attacking Jesus, God incarnate, God vulnerable. You get Satan doing his worst and look at his tactics. All of his tactics are just lies. It's what his name means. It's who he is. In the garden, you get him saying, don't believe what God said. He doesn't really want good for you. That's not really what he said. It's not really true. Do what you want to do. Don't do what he said. Uh, Job, you know, you get this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you get the background of this tormenting of Job of like, I want to persecute him. And Jesus says, you can have everything but his life. His life belongs to me, which is incredibly encouraging. And the worst that Satan does to like, essentially win a, a bet, not a bet, because that would that would make Jesus complicit, but a, a sort of an in-your-face victory over Jesus that your creation doesn't really care about you. Uh, the worst that he does is... Uh, There's loss of business. There's the broken creation and natural disasters. There's the deterioration of a marriage that culminates in a lie. When his wife comes to him and all his sickness and all his destruction, all his pain, all his suffering that's occurred, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And then his friends come and listen for a little bit, but then they tell lies about like, well, you must have done something to deserve this or God must need this from you or like just lies about who God is. That's Satan's greatest weapon. Same thing in in destroying Jesus. When he comes to tempt him in the desert, he just, he uses some of what God's revealed, but he misuses it. Well, if you really were God, you would do this. If you really were God, you would do this. God said this, shouldn't you be able to do this? And, and what Jesus does is corrects the lies with the truth of the scripture that he is twisting. I mean, he's got his hated enemy in vulnerable physical form, and he chooses to attack him through lying about the truth of who God the Father is. Uh, and then you have, you have when Judas turns him over. Um, he personally dwells inside of judas and the way he does it is to get judas to turn him over to the authorities to lie about his purpose of his kingdom this man wants to be king and he's saying he's god and he's saying he wants to be king you should destroy him um twisting the truth and and like jesus was executed for who he actually was he was the king um, and But it's this twisting of truth and this twisting of the words and the character of God that become the most destructive forces in all of creation. And so when we can look at the law, when we can look at the words of God as a revelation of His truth to change us and to conform us to His image, um, we're being who He made us to be and we're we're walking with Him and we're abiding with Him. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of different ways we resist this. This is our nature, um, our sin nature is to desire to be God ourselves. That's that would be the definition of original sin. I want to define what good and evil is. I want to be the one who decides what is best for me, according to me. Um, and this keeps us from His Word. This keeps us from submitting to His Word. Uh, the the Genesis 3.5 five. Um, sort of the nail in the coffin of the lie to Adam and Eve, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This knowing, knowing in the Bible is a very different word than just like knowing. It's like intimate, deep, personal knowledge. It has depths of connection when you're talking about knowing this, knowing good and evil. Isn't just knowing what's right and wrong. It's it's like owning in what is right and wrong. Being Becoming the source of what's right and wrong, and if you could look at our world around us, at anything that's broken now or anything that's ever been broken in human history, at the core of it is this desire to like redefine what is right and wrong according to self. Um, and this this is our this is our struggle with God. Uh, so um, the three ways I want us to look at the law today and ask questions if you have questions. That's that's just introductory. Is, there, is everybody okay with that? Does anybody have any? <laughs> it's always, always gets weird when you start talking about Satan and demons, but uh, if you talk about them biblically, it's okay. Um, the, uh, the three ways I want us to look at celebrating and worshiping God through his law are um, God said it, right? Which, unfortunately, people just stop there sometimes. Well, the, and Scott's talked about this before. But, you know, if you just leave it at like, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. <coughs> That's not really knowing God. That's not really, that's just the beginning. Like we can't stop there. Um, Looking at the inherent goodness that is the law of God, like kind of stepping back from the world's lies about how good God's law is and look at it for what it actually is. Uh, And then the biggest thing and hopefully the longest thing just being, what, what does Jesus say about the law? Not just what does he say about it, but what does he say the purpose of it is? Um, And that's where I think you get to your greatest worship of who God is through his law. Uh, I had told my my students once I was trying to explain this. I was like, we were working through something else. And I was like, you can get a lot out of just a couple of verses of scripture. They're like a zip disk. Does anybody in here know what a zip (laughs) disk is? Okay, a couple people know what a zip disk is. And they're like, I was like is there anything you use that makes a lot of information tiny so you can send it places and then you can open it back up? And they said something. And I was like, probably that, um, <laughs> you, you can, you, you can take that God is infinite. We are finite. We're not going to exhaust him. This is why you could read the Bible your whole life and never stop learning about God, never stop growing closer to him, never stop being conformed to his image. Um, it'll just give and give and give and give it's it's the primary after changing your heart to make you love god and to free you from the slavery to sin and yourself um, the next greatest thing i think the holy spirit does is just continually reveal who god is to you through his word you're never gonna you're never gonna be done with that so i am just scratching the surface of, of what we can do this but that is part of like how the law even just the even just the ten commandments can just pour into you and draw you close to who God is if you'll look at them through the eyes he intended you to look at them with um, part of our struggle I have two, th- two things here one Sinclair Ferguson who's one of my favorite living pastors right now i always listen to sinclair ferguson's speaking i'll listen and john piper speaking i'll listen those are two of the people i'll just always listen to Um, sinclair ferguson was talking about um, taking taking someone on a revolutionary tour of the northeast and they they came and they were they were a pastor from europe and they came and they went into an antique shop and there was a sign in the antique shop that said we'll have no sovereign here right just this rebellion against the king um, and very American, very, very, uh, very pro Fourth of July. Um, and, uh, and he said he just kind of, the, the pastor just kind of hung his head and he's like, how can a culture who rejects the very idea of sovereign rule ever fully understand who God is? And there's, thank God the, there's the Holy Spirit and there's scripture. That's how we can do it. But there's that, that innate in us of our culture and our time period to reject sovereignty unless we agree with it. And we will only accept what we agree with. And we have kind of grown over a couple hundred years to just even like, we'll only be friends and accept information from people we agree with. And if we don't, gone, find the next one. It's just this innate. Desire for self-control over everything that that, that resides in us—that I think we can see in our society, we can see in our history—and we have to be aware that when we come before the law of God, that's part of what's going to be rejecting it. Um, the and the other half of that is when I was policing one time, um, I, multiple times. I finally, like over the years, learned to more healthily navigate the people I was arresting to like a healthier encounter. Uh, one of the things I learned that was so important was when they were reject, like there's always this, you, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. And I always found some peace in the situation when I'd say, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not, I'm nobody. Um, the law exists over all of us and I'm just representing it. Um, I'm just letting you know what the law says and letting you know that there was a violation of it, like I'm subject to it too. Um I'm just the the message deliverer is all. And there'd be like some peace in that. Now there's two two pastoral applications to that. One, like we are all just kind of servants of the law, and delivering its truth. It exists outside of us. But what I think brought the peace in this section or in this these situations was I removed the personal nature of the correction. Like, to be personally corrected by another is kind of reprehensible to our core. Like, we reject that. We want to be God. We want to be autonomous. Do not have another entity correct me. If I agree to it, I'll do it. But only if I agree to it. And I remove that personal nature of it. The thing about god's law and it's written all throughout scripture is that we all know it in our hearts the the creation testifies to it um god is a very personal god and he is very personally sovereign over us and he is very personally speaking to us and crafting us to be like him and our sin is going to resist that and and we need to die to that that's part of looking at the law that we need to get past is 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 seeing the beauty that we, oh, we have a personal God who loves us so much that he will speak into our lives and perfectly work to conform us to his image. Let me look at the law through that lens instead of my sin nature that just rejects another being correcting me. And so if we'll look at it, if we'll start to build those, those mindsets, um, how to worship out of the Ten Commandments. Um, just start right there. God said it we have a God who talks to us, who talks to us ultimately, and this is sort of my conclusion, but like, He'll come and be us. He'll come and put on our flesh and our circumstances to not only know us more intimately, but to show us that He knows us. To you, God doesn't learn, but like, He's showing us that he knows us intimately. He knows our sufferings intimately. He is showing us that the law is so perfect and good that he'll uphold it on our behalf and take our and not remove the consequence. Because it's so perfect and good, he'll take the consequence. Like the law is God's personal testimony to us that he cares. And, and that He wants relationship with us. It is not a list of, of, you know, that thumb grinding, get in line. It is a continual offer of personal relationship and personal revelation of who He is. Um, there is... I, I'm not going to go through all these because there's one I want to spend more time on, but there is nothing in all of scripture that that is talked about like god's words there is nothing described more beautifully more powerful more fine more to be desired than god's words not peace not joy not love not happiness like the only the highest superlative after god's holiness are his words that describe his holiness and they're all life-giving and departing from them, is, it's all death-giving. If God is who He says He is and that's true, it's only a good gift to us. Um, Psalm 119, right? If you haven't read it recently, it's a great time to read it. Your Sunday school is going through the Ten Commandments. Read Psalm 119, uh, the longest chapter of the Bible. It's 22 eight-line stanzas. Uh, if I don't, I haven't had Hebrew yet. But if you've had Hebrew, uh, the beginning of each stanza begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So for us, it'd it all start like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, and they just are eight-line poems delighting in the beauty and the benefits of God's law. Um, all of it life-giving. Uh, if you are struggling, I would just encourage you: if you're ever struggling to submit to what God has said. Read Psalm 119 and see that it is, a, it is a call of peace and love and goodness for you. And it is not a crushing burden for you to bear. It is, it is actually for you to know God more and to be in deeper relationship with Him. Psalm 119 is one of the greatest tools to, to remind yourself of that. And we are forgetful beings. We are for, sin is so powerful that we're free from it in Christ. Christ has freed us from the slavery of sin. Before you're saved in Christ, before your heart is new, you can't know Him. You can't know Him rightly. You can't know Him fully. You can't, you can't submit to Him. You're a slave to sin. And yet when you are redeemed by Christ and you can see Him for who He is and you are set free, we are such powerfully sinful creatures that we still sin, even though we don't have to anymore. Even though we know the truth, we still, but thank God we're free to struggle with the sin, but we still sin. That's how powerful that is. We're forgetful beings who need constant reminders, and that's what God's law does for us. And even, thank, thanks be to God, even the longest chapter of the Bible helps us remember to go and remember, because it's just this love letter to God's people about how to be at peace with Him. Uh, so, psalm 119 uh joshua right never let this depart from your lips say i teach uh, i teach media in the bible and it's cultural engagement discernment and like i'm as guilty of this as anybody but how many movie lines can you quote how many songs can you sing by heart how much how many tv shows can you go episode by episode and outline the plot what can you do with the bible how much of that can you do with that the reason one of the reasons is you haven't saturated yourself with God's goodness like you've saturated yourself with entertainment. If you were to if you were just to soak in it like Joshua's called to, you, you would be able to do that with God's word. And it would be far more life giving than a, than a thrill or a giggle, um, which are real. They're real. They're really pleasurable. They're really real. Uh, temptation is tempting <laughs> like that. It works. It wouldn't work otherwise. But. Um, And I mean, I think the greatest, you know, some of the greatest victories the devil gets is if he can get you enjoying your sin and your waywardness from God right up till the end and then just leave you, right? That just got, I win. They were totally happy, totally content, uh, totally rejoicing until they realized they actually had absolutely nothing for eternity. This is a great victory for Satan. Um, Let's saturate ourselves in the word so that we could tell the difference, and so that we can build the life-giving things that last. Um, Let's saturate ourselves in His law because He's good and not evil. Uh, He means us good and not harm, and so He's telling us over and over who He is, what He loves, what He hates, what we were made for. Um, That's what His law functions for. That's what the Ten Commandments function for. Um, You can go all throughout the Psalms like, M- more to be desired than gold or precious jewels or silver or uh, honey, uh, which is you know light. It's light to your feet. These are all the descriptions of God's law, not punitive, not restrictive, never, always life-giving. It's our rebellious hearts that see it as restrictive, just like Adam and Eve. Eve we go on for I, this is one of my core units, so it always comes to the surface when I'm talking. But like Eve states it back to the serpent states what god said but she adds and drops little bits and pieces that are really important that make god more restrictive than he actually is that make him less good and giving than he actually is and that make his consequences less significant than they actually are there's a lot to get out of genesis one through three unfortunately we're always arguing about how many days it took to make the earth actually And that's important at some point. You need to know where you stand on what God said and what what you believe about it. But that is not the most important part of those three chapters. And we're missing out on so much um, understanding of who we are and who God is if we don't make it past the days of creation. Um, So keep that in mind. Revisit Genesis 1 through 3. Um, But we're always doing that. We're always making God more restrictive than he is, less good than he is. And his consequences less real than they actually are. That's what we're all struggling to do. That God's word reminds us who God actually is and and puts us back with a right view of who God is. Um, So God's given us these carrying handles all throughout scripture of who He is. The Genesis Three is a great carrying handle of who we are and what our relationship with God is like. It's not the whole thing. It's that little zip file, called a file, whatever they are now. You can unpack the rest of Scripture from it. Um, The Ten Commandments are a little carrying handle of the nature of who God is and what He made us for, what what life abundant with Him is actually like. Um, We can really dig into these and and. And worship, and, and that's what I want us to do. They're, they're essentially good. Most people would agree with this. Um, if everybody did the Ten Commandments, that's a pretty good world. Honestly, if everybody did the Ten Commandments down to the depths of their heart, like Jesus described it, that's heaven. That's a sinless world. No coveting. No, no. think of of all the pluses and minuses of a commandment obeyed. Because it's not just don't do this. It's don't do this, do do the opposite. And it's not just don't do this and do the opposite. It's don't even do this in the echoes of your heart. And desire only to do the opposite. That's what heaven is. Where you only desire what is good and right and true. And nobody does what is not of God. The Ten Commandments are a picture of heaven, if we'll see them that way. Um, no coveting, no no adultery, no murder, um, no broken families of any kind, children honoring their parents, families resting together, uh, husbands and wives staying together and being faithful to each other, like... This is beautiful. No religious wars. Nobody condemned for failing to love and ask God for forgiveness. You know, and that's the one probably out of the Ten Commandments initially most people would get mad at, right? Oh, oh, there are no other gods, but lots of people feel different ways about God. Part of it needs to be, but there's only one, and there's only one who saves. And I would rather they knew that one not a false one that leaves you in the end. Um, but also really that you're going to end up with kickback against each one of them because there's going to be that eternal, that internal, um, well, I shouldn't covet, but according to me, this isn't coveting. In fact, I deserve that. I'm not coveting. I'm claiming what I deserve, right? There's just we'll just take over. We like In our sinful, fallen world, we're just going to take it back over to where we're sovereign. Because again, the real problem with Him, even though initially most people could think of a world where everybody followed the Ten Commandments and think, well, that's actually a pretty good world. It wouldn't take too long before that internal little God said, yeah, but I want to define those terms. I want to define those terms. And, and we get versions of that now even in Christianity where we have, um, we have like... Uh, Well, I just want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, if you said this, I'm sure your heart was different. Um, Like, I just want to love like Jesus loves. I was like, okay. But Jesus was really clear how he loves people. He was very specific about it. There's only one way he did it. And he told us about it. And he even defined the word love. And so, before we can love like Jesus loves, we need to submit to Him in all the ways He defined. It. Like those were gifts; those weren't restrictions. Those were like the very source of love, defined it for us and lived it out for us. Like let Him tell us what love is. Let God be God. Uh, one of my one of my seminary classes was doing the theology of Paul and. Um, Getting in the debates, like the theological debates, like, well, Paul really meant this and Paul really meant that, and Paul was catering to Greek people and their culture, or Paul was catering to Jewish people and their culture. And it's like, or, and this is the one that this is the correct one, um, or Paul knew Jesus and was commissioned by Jesus to tell us who he is and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that perfectly. And he is telling us something not an echo of any culture. But he is telling us who Jesus is. And let, like, you know, in our kind of one of my back and forths is like, let Paul be Paul. Let, like, stop trying to make him be something. Let, let Paul tell us who Jesus is because he's very unique in history. Um, and like, we need to let God be God and let him tell us what's true. Let's stop telling God what's true and let, let him tell us what's true since he's the source of truth and he's the source of love. And we desperately want those things. Let's hear it from the source and just try it. (laughs) Just try it. Um, And so, you know, God has said it. It's good and in and of itself. It draws us away from self-worship. If our greatest sin, if the greatest thing, you can't commit a sin unless you first believe the lie that Adam and Eve believed. You can't commit any sin unless you at first think God's either wrong or he doesn't want the best for me. So I'm going to do differently. He's either wrong or he doesn't want the best for me. I'm going to do differently. And you can call that, um, and this is where the totality of it gets in, and, and we, we're not going to do all that today, but you, you can call that like, well, these are human writings and, and they're not fully accurate. I was like, well, then you can't believe anything in them because how do you know what's accurate in it? Um, or you can say that things changed over time, and I hope uh, this last little bit will... Um, God dealt with people different ways, different times. I hope this last little bit will will shine a light on that. But in the end, you're really just making an excuse that you're going to decide for yourself. And you'll find a way to decide for yourself. But what you're not going to do is just sit down in front of God and let him tell you who he is. Because that would mean you couldn't be God anymore. And that's, that's our greatest resistance. And, and, and just being aware of that will change the way we come before him, will change the way we think about what he's told us about himself, will change the way we worship him. Uh, when you look at the law of God, you'll recognize what you have in Jesus. And if you don't know the law, and this is why the, one of the multitude of reasons, the forget about the Old Testament movement drives me crazy. Um, uh, Jesus taught himself from it. Like the greatest Bible study ever was Jesus teaching himself from the Old Testament. But, you know, you've heard it. I think a lot of people have heard it in these terms. uh, Small sin, small cross. If, If you're basically a good person and Jesus just loved you so much for who you were and he just needed to clean a few mistakes up, the cross is, that's crazy. Why was God hung on a cross for that? Like, that's not, but when you recognize what you're redeemed from, You see how big the cross of Christ is and you see what you have in salvation. That's where Easter becomes glorious. That's where that empty tomb that it's the minute Jesus said it's finished on the cross. I love that passage in scripture. I read it all the time because that's the moment supernaturally recorded and stamped into history that your sins and my sins were forgiven. It was finished. That, That was it. The day, the, the day they arrived and saw the empty tomb is the day they knew it was all true themselves. Like, And that's just that celebration at Easter of, oh, it's all true. It, and you can really start to celebrate if you'll look at his law and see what you were saved from. See how far off and how little hope you had and see what he did for you. And then that's where the law transitions back around to this is just me being who God made me to be now. This is just me trusting that when the maker of the heavens and the earth and me says this is what I made you for and this is where you'll find your greatest joy, like that's when it all takes the right shape. And you can just rejoice that you were given that. Uh, And without the law, you may never know that. He's just like, well, Jesus was just a really nice guy. He just wanted me in heaven. Um, That's so far from the truth of what you have on Easter. Um, So I I had this guy, this was my example of that. Uh, I can't remember if I told it. I was asking my wife, I was like, did I teach this one before? I don't know, but it's a funny story. Uh, I pulled this guy over for like running a red light and I pull him over he like runs a red light and he's got, um, I mean, suspended driver's license, expired tag, no headlight, like no insurance. He's not wearing a seatbelt, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just wrote him, uh, I just wrote him like the insurance and the tag. That was all. And I, I couldn't, I, I was going to let him park his car instead of tow it because he had to suspend a driver's license. And I walked up to the car and he's just like, he was just outraged. He's like, this is outrageous. I want, I demand justice. This is, this is injustice and I'm sick of it. And he was going on and on. I'd actually just been in a Bible study on this. So I let him finish. And I was like, no, no, you don't want justice. I was like, justice would be if I wrote you these other six tickets and towed your car because you're offending and endangering everybody on the road. Because if you hit somebody running a red light, you don't have any insurance to fix their car. Like you haven't paid your taxes on your tag. You haven't done anything you're supposed to do. And all I'm writing you is an insurance ticket, that you can fix with getting insurance, which you're supposed to do anyways, and a tag ticket that you can fix by getting your tag fixed, which you're supposed to do anyways. You don't want justice, because you can't handle justice. You want mercy, and I'm giving you mercy. And he goes, he goes, you're right. <laughs> and, uh, and that's really it. He couldn't see what he had for what it was until he saw the full picture of what the situation actually was. Uh, and we have that times infinity when we look at the law of God. You don't know what you're saved from. And you don't even understand why it took God coming and putting on flesh and, and living the perfect law-filled life. Jesus wasn't beneath the law. He lived the law perfectly to his delight. But like, but like we're like, I'm too good for the law. My culture says differently, so I'm going with that. But that's not how Jesus felt at all. His culture said differently, too. And he's showing us what life is. He's showing that the person who gave life is showing us what life actually is. And it's like a lie-free, sin-free life looks like this. And it is for your joy. Um, And then you know what he's doing on the cross, And then you know how glorious that is. Uh, The last, you know, um, I I always run run over. Um, Jesus, Luke, Matthew, John, all kinds of places. Look, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't know me from that, they won't know somebody came from Moses and the prophets. That's the law. They won't know if somebody came from the dead. They know me. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law because it's beautiful. Jesus wasn't just marching out for the sake of marching out. He was doing what was beautiful. He was doing what life was supposed to be when he lived out the law. And that's how we're called to see it too. Um, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Lee, Eric, covered that really well in the beginning. Um, That's the whole point. It's to be with God and to be like God and to be rejoicing as God made you to be. That's the point of the law. That's what sums it all up. Um, hey, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? First Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, to be made like Him. His desire for you is for you to be like Him. So He's given you His law, and He's shown you what it looks like perfectly. Romans begins with like the righteousness of God has been revealed, and it's in the wrath of God on sin. And thank God that's not where Romans stops. And it shows where the Jews trying to follow the law have received rightly the wrath of God and His righteousness revealed through His wrath. And it shows where the not-Jews following their hearts have Rightly earned wrath and the righteousness of God revealed in wrath on their actions. Wrath isn't cruel and evil, wrath is love encountering sin. If love encountered sin and didn't care, that would be evil. Wrath is just love encountering sin rightly. And the beautiful thing is that that's not the, the end of God's revelation of Himself, the culmination of God's revelation of Himself is Jesus, the law in flesh the very character and nature of God, God Himself and the person of the Son in front of us, perfectly revealed, His righteousness revealed in Christ, where the law is not forgotten. It is lived out to the fullest, and every, every breaking of it is punished rightly with death, but on Him, not on us and it costs nothing to be a part of it. There's nothing to resist in the God of law, or the law, God's law when you see Christ. There's nothing to resist. If you see it through Christ, you know how honest and good and right and true He was. I I was going to read the whole thing. If you go home, I'll just read this part of it, but read John 15. John 15 As he's, you know, John 17 is his high priestly prayer before he goes to the cross. John 15 is right in that transition period. And just listen to this part. Um, If you abide in me and my word, this is Jesus, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's not a million dollars. That's being conformed to his image. Um, By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Who doesn't want to abide in the love of Jesus Christ? And He says, "Be who I made you to be, and who will be what I've revealed for you to be in my strength, and you will be abiding in my love." That's how you abide in my love. Um, Just as I kept my, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, and here's His conclusion. And there's harder things he said before that about branches being cut off because they don't. Um, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I think the last thing to take away today on how to look at the law of God, God doesn't need anything. He was perfect in perfect community as a triune being. There is no other like him. He needed nothing. He had so much love inside of him that he made creatures who could enjoy his love that we don't add to him. He made us the highest form of creation who can, Who? there's argument for this, that as the highest form of creation, we are designed to be the most capable being of enjoying God. That's why He made us the way He made us. And part of that, and I don't understand the mystery of this, it's not fully revealed in Scripture, part of that means we had the ability to reject Him, and He chose to redeem us. He knew that from the beginning. To make us was to go to the cross. He only made us so that we could enjoy Him. And He was willing to go to the cross to do that just for our sake, to be a creature who can enjoy Him to the fullest. That is the God who has given you his law. And that is the God of the Ten Commandments who's revealed what joy and life and peace and love look like in this world uh, and in the next. Uh, And so let us always, always remember that God is not trying to get something from us or take something from us. His law is only giving to us the very life and love he created us for. And, 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 and that's where you can, you can worship on Easter through the Ten Commandments, when you, when you see it through that lens. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Have a great week!